Well, there comes a moment in every good sports movie when the coach rallies the team for the big game. I mean, everything is at stake. It's do or die time. This is the climax of the movie. And so with inspiring words, the coach exhorts his team to go out and do their best. Now, I've got clips from three sports movies I want to show you of these coaching rants, these, these pep talks. I want you to see if you could remember the name of the movie that each of these comes from. We'll start with a basketball one. Here we go. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. Focus on the fundamentals that we've gone over time and time again. And most important, don't get caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. And the movie is... Who's yours? One of the best sports movies ever. Okay, next one's from a football movie. Take a look. When you take that field today, you've got to lay that heart on the line, man. From the soles of your feet, with every ounce of blood you've got in your body, lay it on the line until the final whistle blows. And if you do that, if you do that, We cannot lose. And the movie is? We are Marshall. Extra credit. Where did this pep talk take place? Cemetery, because this is the true story of the, the team that had gone down in the plane crash, and these are the new recruits, and the coach takes them to the cemetery where the guys are buried and says, okay, now we're going to go out, and, you know, we're going to win it for them, so to speak. One, one last one from hockey. Watch this. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team in the world. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. And the movie is Miracle, based on the true story. Was it the 1980, somewhere around there, the, uh, the Olympic game where the, the U.S. beat the Ruskies? Okay, now, wh why am I showing you these sports clips? Okay, why, why are we talking about coaches' vision casting? Well, because we're starting a five-part series today. And, and the series revolves around what you can expect out of an 80-minute service at every weekend at Christ Community Church. And at the top of the list of what I hope you can expect is inspirational vision casting. I said inspirational vision casting. We are Christ Community Church. Yes, God has called us here for a purpose. Now, we have a diabolical enemy, but don't be scared of that enemy. When you go out on the, the field, I want you to play as a team. I want you to leave it all on the field, Christ Community Church. That was kind of fun. <laughs> okay, this five-part series is called Church Matters, 80 Indispensable Minutes Together. And my hope, my prayer for this series is that it will convince you that our 80-minute services truly are indispensable for your lives. 
We're going to be looking at five key components that are included in every Christ Community Church weekend service. Now, if you're new to Christ Community, maybe you've, you've even come through the doorway of our Christmas Eve services or our, our Christmas outreach in December, this series is intended to welcome you and to tell you who we are. If you're a regular attender at Christ Community Church, I hope that this series answers questions you might have about why we do what we do in our weekend services, and that it will encourage you to not miss a single weekend. So here's the first of the five component parts that we're going to be looking at in the series, inspirational vision casting. And if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And take the outline from your program, if you would, Matthew chapter 16. I hope in the new year you'll get yourself a Bible if you don't have one and bring it with you and mark it up as we study God's Word together. And those outlines are hole punched, so if you want to save them in a notebook and look back over things God's taught you over the course of the year, you can do that. Now, as you're turning to Matthew 16, let me give you a little background. Uh, Jesus is about to give his disciples a pep talk. He's taken them to a very special place for this vision casting. He's taken them to a city called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus' usual locale for ministry. So why has he taken them on this, this field trip to the north? Two reasons. First of all, Caesarea Philippi was a city that, that was populated mostly with Gentiles. Now, Jesus is going to cast vision for his team. He's going to give them a mission, and he wants them to understand that their mission has to do not just with the welfare of fellow Jews, but with Gentiles as well. It has to do with the world. Their mission is aimed at the world. And so he takes them to this world-class city, a prominent city in that region of the world, a city, by the way, Caesarea Philippi, that was named after both the Roman emperor, Caesar, as well as the local king, King Herod Philip. So Caesarea Philippi, again, as a reminder, your mission is for the world. Okay, second reason he takes them there is that Caesarea Philippi was known for its worship of Greek gods. In fact, prior to being named Caesarea Philippi, it was called Panius after the Greek god Pan. And if you ever get a chance to go there, uh, my family was in Caesarea Philippi last summer. And you will find all sorts of grottos where Greek gods were worshipped. And so Jesus is taking his team to the opponent's field because he wants to demonstrate that there is no home field advantage for the opponents, that he's got the power to propel them to victory, even on the, on the opponent's turf. So are you with me now? Okay, this is the background to the passage we're about to read. This is Jesus' pep talk, and we're going we're gonna to draw some themes from it. And you're going to see how the vision casting we try to do every week in a Christ Community Church is, uh, is tailored along the lines of Jesus' pep talk here. First thing he wants his disciples to hear from him is, become a player. Okay, become a player. And I want you to, to follow along as I read the opening verses of the text, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Speaking of himself. They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? How does a person become a player, spiritually speaking? Well, you've got to make a decision about Jesus Christ. 
You've got to make up your mind about Jesus Christ. Jesus begins his pep talk by asking the disciples what people are saying about him. Who do people say the Son of Man is? It turns out the responses on the street are varied. Some people have concluded that Jesus must be John the Baptist. Now, interestingly, John was dead at this point in the story. He had been beheaded by another one of Herod the Great's sons, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas had been fooling around with his brother's wife. John the Baptist had called him on it, said, you're an adulterer. And so Herod Antipas had John the Baptist beheaded. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and people are saying, oh, the reincarnation of John the Baptist. And you could bet Herod Antipas was a little bit nervous. Others were saying, no, 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 not John the Baptist. It's probably Elijah. Now, why did they pick the prophet Elijah? Well, because there was an Old Testament prophecy that said before the Savior would come to the world, before the Messiah would come, God would send send a forerunner, a PR man, who would be like the prophet Elijah. So people are wondering, is Jesus this PR man? Is Is he the advanced man for the coming Savior? Still others were saying, oh, no, he's just another generic prophet in a long line of prophets that include Jeremiah and others. So Jesus listens to his disciples recap all these speculative theories about his identity, and then he asks, verse 15, okay, what about you? Who do you say I am? Uh, Interestingly, in the original Greek text of Matthew 16, verse 15, the word you comes at the beginning of Jesus' question, and it's placed there for emphasis. Now, we don't do this in English because it it sounds very awkward, but in the Greek text, it reads literally, you, who me say to be. You, I want to know, you, what are you thinking? That's the question we're always challenging people with at our weekend services at Christ Community Church. You, you know, who is Jesus Christ in your life? What are you going to do with Christ? I've discovered over the years that a a lot of people who come through the doors of Christ's community church, especially initially, have come here for the sake of somebody else. Okay, they've come here because a a friend at school invited them to come, or somebody at work said, would you like to come to church with me? Okay, I'll go. So they're here for the sake of their friend. Or or they're here because their, their spouse is into that God stuff, so they tag along. Or Or they're here because... The kids need it. So they're, they're at church for the sake of the kids. They're dropping their kids off at Kids World. Or just the, the reverse of that, they're here because their parents make them come. Most churches assume that the people who show up at their services are already committed Christ followers. They're already players, but we never make that assumption here. We're always appealing to people to become players. We're always getting in your face. We're daring to ask you, quit hiding behind other people that that you're here for the sake of. What about you? Have you made up your mind about Jesus? What what are you? Why owe you? What are you going to do with Christ? How do you become a player? Well, you got to make up your mind about Jesus. Now, let's go back to Jesus' pep talk in Matthew 16. I want to keep reading because if you want to become a, uh, a player, spiritually speaking, uh, Jesus is going to give you some clue as to, as to how to become a player in the words that he speaks to Peter. So go back to verse 15. Jesus says to Peter, what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, verse 16, you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Okay, to become a player, you've got to make up your mind about Christ. How do you do that? I see at least three steps in what Jesus says to Peter. First step is you've got to respond to God's prompting. Now, now look again at the text. Verse 16, Peter identifies Jesus correctly as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who does Jesus give credit to for Peter's response in the next verse? Okay, does Jesus look at Peter and say, well, way to go, man, you figured it out. Dude, you're spiritually discerning. You know, you're spiritually smart, intelligent. No. Look at verse 17. Who does Jesus give credit to for Peter's response? Call it out. God. He says that you wouldn't know this, Peter, if the Heavenly Father hadn't revealed it to you. See, there's some evidence that God's at work in your life right now. Now, Jesus said the same thing in John 6, verse 44. He said, said, no one comes to me except the Father who sent me draws him. Nobody comes to Jesus unless God's working in the heart. You you stop and think about that for just a moment. If, If the lights are beginning to go on in your mind, if spiritually speaking you're beginning to get it, if you're feeling your your heart tugged in Jesus' direction, it's because God's at work in you. And the first step is to respond to that prompting. Don't don't put it off. Don't don't say, well, you know, I'll deal with this down the road a few weeks from now or, you know, later this year or five years from now. If God is speaking to you today, if God is working in your heart today, if God's revealing the truth about Jesus to you today, then respond today. Now, how do you respond? Well, the second step that I see in Jesus' dialogue with Peter is you need to surrender your life to Christ as Savior and King. Look at the way at which Peter IDs Jesus in verse 16. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, Peter says. Now, Christ is the same word as the Hebrew word Messiah. The Old Testament had promised a Messiah, a Savior who would rescue people from their sins. The prophet Isaiah explained in Isaiah 53 that the way that the Messiah, the Savior, would save us from our sins is that he would pay the penalty that our sins deserve. He would take the punishment that that is coming for our sins, which is death. So, so Peter looks at Jesus and he recognizes him to be this Christ, this promised Messiah, this Savior from sin's penalty. But that title, Messiah, also had regal overtones to it. The Old Testament stated that the coming Messiah would be not just a Savior, he would be a king from the line of Israel's most famous king, King David. Only Messiah's kingdom would be worldwide. Messiah's kingdom would be eternal. So Peter here, he's recognizing Jesus to be not just Messiah Savior, but Messiah King. And he underscores Jesus' power, Jesus' dominion as King, by referring to him also in verse 16 as Son of the living God. Now again, let me just remind you, he's saying this in Panius. He's saying this surrounded by Greek gods. And I I have a sense that Peter probably put emphasis on the word living when he made this declaration Because surrounded by dead, powerless Greek gods, he wanted to identify Jesus as son of the living God. 
How do you become a player? Well, you, you, you become a player, uh, first of all, by responding to God's prompting if he's moving in your heart, and secondly, by surrendering your life to Christ as Savior and King. Have you ever done that? You know, have you ever prayed, Jesus, be my Savior? Forgive my sins that you paid for on the cross. And, and Jesus, be my King. Please give me daily victory over sin by empowering, by ruling my life. Now, we, we invite you to pray that prayer regularly at our weekend services. This is part of the inspirational vision casting when we're saying, become a player. How do you become a player? Surrender your life to Christ. We'll often close in prayer. And, and I'll say, if you've never prayed a prayer like this before, pray this prayer to surrender yourself to Christ. And I'll sometimes ask, if you prayed this prayer and you meant it, if you surrendered your life to Christ, just as a physical sign, put your hand in the air and back down. And then after the prayer, I'll say, hey, if you put your hand up, you know, go pick up a Next Steps packet at the Welcome Center at any one of our campuses so you can take next steps in a relationship with God. How do you become a player? Number one, respond to God's prompting. Number two, surrender to Christ as Savior and King. And then number three, I pick up from Jesus' dialogue with Peter, go public. Go public with your decision. You know, please note here in the text that Jesus asks his disciples in front of everybody else to declare who he is in their lives. Who do you say I am? He asks the whole group. Jesus doesn't take these guys aside one at a time and say, okay, Peter, so Andrew, psh, psh, over here, you know, what are you thinking about me? You know, let, let, let's just keep this between the two of us now, but you know, what do you think? No, it's, it's all right out there in the open. And friends, the initial evidence that you've surrendered your life to Christ is a willingness to go public with your decision. And as you read uh, later on in the New Testament, the way we go public is through baptism. You go underwater and you come back out again as a dramatization of the fact that you've now identified your life with the one who died for your sins as Savior, who rose from the dead to be your king. If you've never participated in a baptism at Christ's community, we do these every several months, and hundreds of people every year get baptized at our church. Our next baptism celebration takes place on February 23rd and 24th, and I hope you'll take the plunge. You know, if, you, if you've recently surrendered your life to Christ, maybe even through the course of December's special Christmas services, or maybe you surrendered your life to Christ a couple of years ago or five years ago and you've never gotten baptized, I hope, I hope that you'll take this step. We do a lot of promoting of baptism here. This, again, is part of our inspirational vision casting at our weekend services. We preach about it, just as I'm doing right now. In our, our announcement, our opportunities section of the program, we'll invite you to come to a baptism orientation class and check it out. We'll show you an I Am a Disciple video uh, occasionally of someone telling their baptism story, how, how God brought them to Christ and then they got baptized. And then in the course of the service itself, we'll do these baptisms. Now, we, we do them a little differently at every campus. In St. Charles, there are usually so many people that, that we can't take an extended time. We do it during the worship, the first 20 minutes of the service. And so everyone's on their feet and we're praising God. And as people are getting dunked, we're cheering and whistling. And, you know, it's a party. It's a party. Become a player. 
by responding to God's prompting, surrendering to Christ as Savior and King, and then going public with your decision through baptism. Now, this, this is part one of Jesus' pep talk in Matthew 16. Become a player. And you're going to hear this regularly at our weekend services. Become a player. Become a player. Number two, join the team. Okay, join the team. I want you to go back to Matthew 16. Let me read the next verse, verse 18. Jesus is speaking to Peter, who has just identified him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Okay, so Jesus gives Simon, one of his followers, a new name. He calls him Peter, which means literally rock. Or we would probably say today, Rocky. Jesus looks at him and says, you're going to be Rocky. And then he adds, I'm going to build my church on this rock. Now, some Roman Catholic theologians, they take this to an extreme and they say, Jesus is not only describing Peter as the rock foundation for the church, but they use this passage to say, and this makes Peter the first pope in a long line of popes. This gives him the, the ability now to make infallible decisions and to have exclusive authority over the church as ensuing popes will have. Now, we just don't see that in Scripture. Matthew 16 doesn't seem to say all that. It's true, I believe, that Jesus promises to build his church on Peter, but it's not because, as you look at the text, it's not because there's anything special about Peter. It's just that Peter happens to be one of the first Christ followers. It's like when I refer to the six couples who helped Sue and me start Christ Community Church 28 years ago. You'll hear me say things like, yeah, they were foundational to our ministry. Or, or I might say our church was, was built on people like this. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that these six couples were extra special or that they were without fault. I'm just telling you, they were charter members. That's what Jesus is saying about Peter here. Peter was a charter member on Jesus' team. He was a foundational guy. He was somebody that Jesus built on. And this, this leads me to the point I want to emphasize here, that Jesus is building a team. Jesus is not just interested in individual players. Jesus has got a team in mind. What does Jesus call his team? Look at verse 18. He calls them what? The church. Whose church? His church. He says, my church. This is how he identifies his team. This is the first time that the word ch church pops up in the New Testament. It's a Greek word. It's a Greek word, ekklesia. It's a compound word. Ek means out or out of. Klesia means call. And so an ekklesia in Jesus' day, an ekklesia referred to any called out group of people, any group of people who had been gathered together for a special purpose. So the church is Jesus' team. They're Jesus' ecclesia. Jesus has called us out of the world for a special purpose. What is that special purpose? Jesus gives us a clue about the church's special purpose in the closing line of verse 18. Look at verse 18 again. Jesus says that the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. Now, Hades is the Greek name for the place of the departed spirits. Hades is the place of death. Jesus infers here that Hades and the, and the church are going to be engaged in ongoing cosmic conflict. Well, if Hades is on the side of death, what side is the church on? Call it out. Life. 
If Hades dooms people, then the purpose of the church is to save people. Now, now Jesus has more to say about saving people in verse 19, but for the moment, I just want this thought to, to, to sink in, that Jesus Christ wants you to join his team and that it's a team whose purpose is nothing less than saving people from eternal death and leading them to eternal life. Now, friends, that's such a mouthful. i got to say it again. Jesus wants you to join his team, and it's a team whose purpose is nothing less than saving people from eternal death and leading them to eternal life. Wow. One of the most well-known, famous lines that's ever come out of the business world Many of you probably have heard this before. It's a quote of Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve was trying to recruit a new CEO for Apple, and he had gone to John Scully, the CEO of PepsiCo at the time. And in order to woo him to take over the leadership of Apple, this is what Steve Jobs said to John Scully. He said, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to come with me and change the world? Now, I happen to think that Steve Jobs was exaggerating just a bit here. I'm not sure that joining the ranks of Apple makes you a world changer, but I think Jesus' offer is legit. And Jesus' appeal is this. Do you want to join my team and help me save the world? Do you want to? Now, now you have to become a player before you join Jesus' team. So be sure you take that first step that I described a moment ago, become a player, surrender your life to Christ as, as Savior and King. But the sad fact is, friends, I know a lot of people who claim to have become players, who claim to have surrendered their lives to Christ, but they still aren't connected with the team. They're, they're, they're more passive spectators than they are active teammates. And that's why we're constantly challenging you at our weekend services to go beyond the weekend services. This is part of our inspirational vision casting. We invite you to participate more fully in the church that Christ is building. We say to you, find a place to serve, join a community group, care for the poor on a second Saturday, travel with a go team, go work with one of our international partners, come and pray at our next Ignite prayer and worship service, join the team. Now, there are, there are several spots in every one of our weekend services where we do this, where we do this vision casting to join the team. You know what they are? Okay, one of them is the opportunities segment of our program. You'll, you'll see it listed in your printed program. Somebody's saying, opportunity. Oh, you mean the announcements that somebody makes just before they take the offering. Yeah, I thought that was a commercial break. You know, give, gives me an opportunity to check my cell phone for text messages. It's not just a commercial break. In fact, I can tell you honestly, I pray for the opportunity segment of our, our weekend service as, as much as I pray for the sermon every week because I know it's at stake. I, I know that it's not enough for you to be a passive spectator. If you've become a player, you need to join the team. You, you need to roll up your sleeves and get involved. And so I'm praying that something said in those opportunities will get you to take a next step of involvement, participation. Uh, second way that we do this 
is a two or three times a month will show an I am a disciple video. And these are true stories of people talking about serving in one of our bazillion ministries here. And our hope is to inspire you to go and do the same. We want you to join the team. Now, just one footnote to this point. Uh, the longer you are a Christ follower, the, the more you'll discover that there are also other Christian organizations out there besides the church. And if there are good, Christ-honoring, biblically-based Christian organizations apart from the church. There are community Bible studies, and there are uh, ministries to the poor, and there are Christian schools, and so on. Good organizations. But, but I want to warn you of something. Don't let your involvement in any one of those organizations eclipse your participation in the church. In the church. These other organizations are referred to often as parachurch organizations. Para is a Greek word meaning alongside. Because they're called alongside to support the church. But the church is the big enchilada. So, so if you're part of a community Bible study, I hope you're getting trained so that you can become a community group leader in the church. See how that works? If you're ministering to the poor through one of the community organizations, I hope you'll be pointing the poor to the church because they need more than their next meal. They, they need more than a warm bed. They need the church. If, if you're going to a Christian middle school or a Christian high school, I, I hope that your heart is growing for your friends who are at the public school who need Jesus and that you'll participate in and support Genesis and, and Mosaic in the church. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, you say all this church stuff because that's your job. You know, you're a pastor. Of course, you're biased for the church. And I want to tell you, yes, I'm biased for the church, but it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because Jesus said, I will build my what? Church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Join the team. Participate fully on the team that Christ is building. The church. Third bit of pep talk from Jesus. Become a player. Join the team. Number three, go for the win. Go for the win. Uh, Eric Rogis is our executive pastor at Christ Community Church, and he is constantly challenging our 100 staff members to define what a win would look like in the various ministries that they oversee. I think Eric probably came across this expression in some management book that he's read, and so it's become a mantra of his. You know, whatever ministry idea a staff member comes up with, Eric wants to know immediately, okay, what would a win look like here? What would a win look like? look like? In other words, how would you define success in this venture? How would you know if you've hit a home run? How would you know if you're standing in the end zone? Well, Jesus closes his pep talk in Matthew 16 by telling his team, the church, what a win looks like. Okay, here's what a win looks like for those who are members of Jesus' team. Verse 19, Jesus says, and I will give you keys, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus says to the church, says to his team, I'm giving you keys. Now, have you ever been locked out of a place you needed to get into, you didn't have a key? 
Some years ago, when my kids were little, a friend of mine who owns a lake house up in Michigan said, yeah, why, why don't you use my lake house for a summer vacation with your family? And so we piled the kids into the car. He had given me the key, and we drove up to, uh, to Michigan. Several hours we got out. We're standing in front of the lake house. And at that point, I remembered I'd left the key on the kitchen counter at home. So we're standing looking at this beautiful lake house. So Sue says, well, I'll go check with the neighbors, see if somebody's got a spare key. And I said, I'll look for an open window. And I started walking around the lake house, and I found a window that, that it was unlocked. And I pull it up, and it had one of those internal stoppers that only allows it to go like six inches wide. So I thought, no problem. My daughter Emily is skinny. You know? <laughs> and so I started shoving her in feet first. And I got up to her head, and that was the sticking part. And I was trying to cram her head through. She would have permanent brain damage today if it weren't for the fact that Sue showed up at that moment with a neighbor's key. <laughs> Keys get people into places. Jesus says, I'm giving my team, I'm giving the church keys. Keys that enable us to get people into the kingdom of God, he says. What are those keys? Well, those keys are the good news that we possess, the good news that if people will put their hope and their trust in Jesus, if they'll surrender their lives to Jesus as Savior and King, they could be forgiven their sins, they could be given eternal life, Christ can come to live on the inside. Now, friend, when, when we use our keys, when we share that good news with other people, what happens is they are loosed from their sins, the penalty and the power of their sins, and the door to the kingdom of God is opened up for them. But when we fail, listen, when we fail to use our keys, when, when we're not sharing this good news with our friends, when we're not telling our coworkers, when we're having no spiritual discussions with our neighbors, we're not allowing them to be set loose. They're still bound by their sins. And the door to the kingdom of God remains shut in their face. They can't get in. You know, sharing this good news, using our keys is, is, is critical. If you've become a player, if you've joined the team, Jesus says, now I, I want you to go for the win. What does a win look like for those who are members of his team? Well, a win occurs when we, both as individual Christ followers, as well as a gathered church, when we present the good news of Jesus to others and they respond and they're welcomed into the kingdom of God. That's what a win looks like. Speaking of wow, wow weekends are one of our strategies for accomplishing this goal. You know, every several months we do one of these, these wow weekends. We bring in a special guest, somebody with some notoriety. Either they've got a name or they've got a personal story that we know will draw a crowd. And then we tell you for weeks ahead of time, we say start inviting your friends. Invite as many friends as you possibly can because they're going to hear the good news about Christ. Use your keys. This is inspirational vision casting. Use your keys. Go for the win. Now, our, our next WOW weekend is the 9th and 10th of February. Just a few weeks out, and our special guest is going to be Matthew Lund, who's the creative genius at Pixar Productions behind movies like Toy Story and Finding Nemo, and everybody knows those movies. Everybody you could possibly invite knows those movies, but not everybody knows the good news about a relationship with Christ that they'll also hear from Matt as I interview him. 
Use your keys. Now, I want you to know as well that while weekends aren't the only opportunity people have to hear the good news about Christ at our weekend services, no matter what series we're doing, no matter what the topic is, no matter what the biblical text is, we're constantly weaving in the information people need to have in order to know how to surrender their lives to Christ as Savior and King. So any weekend is a good weekend to bring a guest with you. Any weekend is. Now, I, I, I say that knowing that a year ago at this time, January of 2012, we were doing a series on generosity. Now, if ever there's a series to turn off people who are non-churchgoers, it's a series about money. But do you know January of 2012 was one of our strongest growth months for the entire year? Evidently, it doesn't turn people off if you do it in an inspiring, vision-casting way and you say, wouldn't you like to become a generous person? Here's what God can do in your life. I think people are dying to hear that kind of motivational talk that's got a sincerity about it. It doesn't sound like just fluff. There's some substance to it. It's coming out of God's word. You know, these are 80 indispensable minutes for your life. Why? Well, first, as we've covered today, because our weekend services are intended for inspirational vision casting. You're going to hear over and over and over again from us, become a player. If you've not surrendered your life to Christ yet, do it today. I'd say today at any of our campuses where you're hearing my voice, if you've not surrendered your life to Christ today, go to the Welcome Center afterwards. Pick up a Next Steps packet. Say, I want to do this. I want to begin a relationship with Christ and then go public in February. Get baptized. Become a player. Join the team. If you've been coming to Christ Community Church but you're not yet participating as a team member, if you're still a passive spectator, roll up your sleeves and join the team. And third, go for the win. You've been given keys. Keys that can set people free from the shackles of their sin and open the door to the kingdom of God to them. For goodness sakes, use your keys. Now, we're going to close this portion of our service in prayer and then move into a time of communion at all four of our campuses. So I'm going to ask you to bow with me here in St. Charles as I turn things over to the campus pastors at our regional campuses. Would you pray with me? If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I encourage you to do it right now. And if you feel a tug on your heart, it's only because God is tugging. You wouldn't feel that tug if God wasn't taking the initiative. So respond now. Say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior who died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I want you to be my King who rules my life from this day on. If you've not yet chosen to get baptized, but you know yourself to be a Christ follower, make up your mind right now. Tell God, God, I'm going public in February. I'm getting baptized. If you're not yet a member of the team, ask God. Say, God, would you show me in the next few weeks here where I can plug in, where I could be a participating member of this team? And if you've been timid, if you've been keeping the good news of Jesus to yourself, if the keys have been in your pocket, would you tell God right now, God, I want to use the keys in 2013 to bring friends to Christ, to get them into the kingdom of God. 
God, we pray that you would help us apply what we've learned. Thank you for the genius of the church that we get to be part of your team. We pray in your name. Amen.